this is something that can't be missed in Christ, in in Christianity. If we if we go around and we preach and we tell people what to do and we become hypocrites because we want to harshly hold up these laws that we we can't hold up ourselves, then we're missing what the gospel really means, especially in this day and time. What's up, family, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dimensions with Jeffrey Gold. And this podcast is all about us having in-depth conversations about the things of God so we can grow in the knowledge of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, the conversation we're going to have today, I believe, is absolutely critical. Here's the question. Does Jesus care about black liberation? I know what I think, but what do you think? We have some incredible conversation partners who are going to be sharing their wealth of knowledge and wisdom with us today. So without further ado, let's go into the conversation. All right, family, I am here with two incredible people who, if you do not know who they are, you need to know who they are. I believe that they are absolutely at the vanguard of of political advocacy uh, civic engagement from a specifically Christian perspective, from a black Christian perspective. I'm talking about none other than Justin Gibney, who is the co-founder of the And campaign. Uh, he's going to tell us really a lot about what they've been doing these past several years. And also Pastor Mike McBride. Uh, he's the pastor of the Way Church there in Berkeley. Uh, but he's also the co-founder of the Black Church Pack and director of Live Free USA. We're going to hear all about the great things that his organizations have been doing. But I want you all to just help me welcome these two powerful men of God, Justin Gibney, Pastor Mike McBride. Brothers, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having doing me. Blessed. Great. Glad to be here with you both. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm I'm. Com- completely honored for the chance for us to have this conversation. And what we're discussing today, I believe, is really important. We're asking the question, does Jesus care about black liberation? Now, for those who've been tuning in to this podcast, folks might be saying, okay, this is a little different. You've talked about the history and theology of praise and worship. You've talked about, you know, entering the throne room of God. You've talked about building intimacy with Jesus. You know, how, how, how does black liberation have anything to do with those things? Of course, this is called the Dimensions Podcast, because if we're going to grow in the knowledge of God and the revelation of Christ, we're going to have to approach it from a multidimensional way. Yes, God is spirit, but 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 he is God overall. And so every aspect, every piece and parcel of our lives, of 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 our families, of society, um, everything ultimately is accountable to the kingship of Jesus Christ. There is, I believe it was Abraham Keeper who said something to the effect that there is no square inch in all of heaven and earth that Jesus does not shout mine. You know, this belongs to me um, over those things. And so, yeah, we've been talking about worship. We've been talking about prophecy and things of that nature, but we've got to talk about the political. Revelation chapter one calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth. In Daniel chapter seven, we get this revelation and this picture of one who's like the son of man. And he is, in fact, the political leader of the universe. That is his role. Revelation 19 calls him king of kings and lord of lords. 
sometimes I think we look at those titles and we over spiritualize them, not recognizing that there are very real, natural, practical, political, governmental implications for what it means for Jesus to be God and King and Lord. And so we're going to talk about it today. Does Jesus care? about black liberation? Does Jesus care about the plight of the poor? Is Jesus concerned about the things that our generation is concerned about? You know, because there's been a lot of folks, uh, millennials, Gen Z, who have been turned off by the church because they haven't seen the church caring about the issues of black liberation. So we're going to kind of take it back and say, well, what does our faith say about it? Ultimately, what does Jesus say about it? And now what is the church to do about it in light of that? So uh, that's kind of the direction for our conversation today. But before we really dig into that, I want to hear more about these two incredible conversation partners that we have. Uh, And I want to start with Pastor Mike. Can you tell us, sir, how you came to be Mike McBride, who who we know as this leader in the political civic space, who was just at the White House a few months ago, who's been working on major issues of criminal justice and things of that nature. Can you tell us how you really came to become passionate about these issues and what resources or what influences really nurtured that passion? Well, um, you know, um, I became Mike McBride because my mom and daddy me Michael uh, McBride, <laughs> and Mike is just short for Michael. Um, no, um, I, I'm I'm a I'm a fourth generation Holiness Pentecostal. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in the Apostolic uh, uh, denomination, Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ. It was founded mm-hmm. by uh, Bishop Robert Lawson uh, out of New York by way of Indianapolis. Uh, I came up in the Cool JC under Bishop Bonner. Um, my father was wow. a, a Sunday school superintendent in the denomination, youth president. Um, so we kind of grew up in, in a pretty, you know, I think about cool JC, you know, it was, it was a pretty, you know, you know, uh, I call it the me for no more denomination, you know, us four and our family going to heaven and no more. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, as I, as I continue to grow in my faith and ministry, I was a youth pastor of Bible way Christian center in San Jose. Um, my pastor, um, pastor Oscar Dace, uh, who literally just transitioned to glory to the church triumphant a few days ago. Um, may he rest in peace. He's my elder, my, my mentor, my bishop, my father in the gospel. Um, I spent a lot of time with him and his family while I was uh, attending Bible college. And I was beat up by some police while I was attending Bible college in March of 1999. I was physically and sexually assaulted by some police officers during a traffic stop. They were trying, according to them, to, you know, get drugs and guns off the street. And they did a a, a number on me. And that incident, um, it ignited a lot that had been placed in me by my father, my family, we grew up every year watching Kunta Kente and Roots every February and the Eyes on the Prize documentary. Had no idea that all of that that was put inside of me just as a child growing up, you know, going to the MLK celebrations in San Francisco. Um, once I got violated and beat up by the cops um, and my young people who I led our youth group in in, the, in San Jose, they told me that this happened to them all of the time, either being beat up by cops or experiencing violence uh, in their own communities. Um, I asked them why you never brought this to the church to me. And they said, we didn't think this part of our lives was something you all cared about. 
And I really felt like I heard God speak to me and say, what is it about the ministry I was building that these children and their families will trust me with the salvation of their souls, but not the safety of their bodies? Um, It is it is the confluence of my personal trauma and the crisis that it created for my ministry calling that has, um, you know, caused me to forge uh, into a pathway of ministry that takes very seriously um, the liberation, the safety, the wellness of um, all folks, but particularly black folks who are consistently finding ourselves caught in the crossfire of white supremacists, uh, state-sponsored violence, and the violence of poverty that is systemic and structural, not a result yeah. of uh, our own kind of lack of um, moral or or uh, uh, good decision making. And so mm-hmm. um, I speak as a survivor of violence. I speak as an advocate. I speak as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I also speak as someone who wants to believe um, that this work is, is a historical connection to uh, what it really means to be a part of um, the historical uh, prophetic ministry of the black church. Mm. Wow. Wow. So powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing. Justin, can can you let us know all that we see you doing, the Christianity Today articles being covered by New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. How did you come to really be who you are in the space of Christian political and civic engagement? Well, Jeffrey, first and foremost, thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, honored to be uh, on in this conversation with Pastor Mike and all that he's done. I uh, certainly appreciate uh, his work. For me, uh, it starts in, in a similar place. You know, uh, my grandfather uh, was in the Church of Living God, PGT Nation. He was a bishop there. Uh, my mom's obviously a PK. And him being that kind of civil rights era, era uh, preacher just impacted everything. I mean, you know, from the sermons that you would hear, there was always a conversation about um, uh, social justice. You always heard that Exodus motif in the conversation about liberation and the importance and understanding that God was on the side of of the oppressed and, and, and that there was something, even if it wasn't immediate, that there was a promise and that there was a, a place for us uh, that was that was more free, that was better than the place that we are in now on earth, not just afterwards. Right. Wow. Um, and so that was just a major part of what we did. I think my mom, again, uh, being his daughter, uh, uh, really, really stressed a lot of those things uh, to me. I remember one time something happened at the school uh, and I was I was treated unfairly. And so she went up there and, and, and you know, she had a conversation with the administration and I was a little bit embarrassed. I was like, Mom, you know, you, you don't have to do that. You know, I was probably in late elementary school, something like that. I was like, you don't have to do that. You know, it's not that big of a deal. And I remember looking at me and saying, Justin, what you have to understand is I didn't just do that for you. I did that for the kid that might whose parents might not have the wherewithal, the resources or uh, be in the state of mind to do it for them. And I think what that what that said to me was that when we go into the public square, it's not just about our interests. All right. It's about the interests of other people. And that as Christians, I, I never really saw. Uh, our role or our discipleship ending within the four walls of the church. I didn't see it ending with just talking about uh, talking plainly about religion, but how we applied the gospel in our in our everyday walk. That was something that was just always um, um, there and something that I, I kind of latched onto. So, you know, I go on to college, uh, get out of law school and I move to Atlanta and 
uh, I go into politics. So I worked for American Kasim Reed and his on his legal team for about eight years, uh, get an opportunity to do a, a lot within that community and make sure that we're creating uh, jobs for folks who are, who are in the community uh, uh, meant a lot to me. But I'll say this meeting, you know, one of my mentors is, is the late uh, Councilman C.T. Martin, who was the dean of the city council here in Atlanta and uh, in the 10th district of Atlanta, which is the heart of Atlanta, just being there and serving. And I think one of the things that he really taught me was you got to be a servant before you're a leader. Um, and that we 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 are here not just to uh, walk around and have all the pomp and circumstance, but to really know and understand the people who are hurting. I think one of the things that we run into today, and this may be the case with some of the some of the, uh, the audience may be aware of this, too, is that sometimes we come out of these academic bubbles and we you know, we have our degrees and we think that we've accomplished all these things that maybe we have, but we still need to touch the people. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes we lose that common touch, touch once we get out of that uh, academic bub bubble and just understanding that the gospel, you don't need a PhD to understand it, right? Um, it's something that's accessible to everybody. And it's something that should be visible in our walk and visible in how we engage people. And so I went about it, you know, certainly in engaging it through the church, but also through politics, then created, uh, met up with, Show Baraka, who's a Christian artist, and also Angel Maldonado, who's a Puerto Rican brother out here. And we created the AND campaign. And really, the AND campaign is addressing a, what we see as a false dichotomy or a false question or a false dilemma, maybe is the best way to put it, in our society, uh, where the way that our society is set up, you either care about social justice and go all the way to the left and kind of drop any of those other convictions or you care about moral order and you go all the way to the right and drop everything else. And we saw that as we looked at the gospel to not be consistent with what the gospel was. We thought that Christians could, should care about social justice, but we should also care about uh, the order which allows for justice. Um, and so that's that's what the AND campaign really means, social justice and moral order, love and truth. And we've been just working, uh, whether it be on voter rights, uh, whether it be in issues of poverty and housing, We've been working to bring Christians and churches, especially folks who haven't really engaged into these issues with an understanding that to love your neighbor isn't just about words, uh, that it's about self-sacrifice. Uh, mm -hmm. And that self-sacrifice needs to be within your sphere of influence around for, for human flourishing. Wow, man. So powerful, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And um, and I was going to ask about the AND campaign, um, and I'm so glad that you shared because uh, the work that you all have been engaging in is really powerful. Um, briefly, could you share with us, you you all did something um, a couple years ago during the pandemic, uh, the prayer and action justice uh, piece that, that, that you all did. And you brought together so many different uh, Christian organizations who you would, you know, look at the list and say they would never ever be signing something together um uh but we're coming together uh really around um this understanding uh of 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 the heart of god uh pertaining to justice really particularly criminal justice can you share a little bit uh really about what that prayer and action uh uh justice uh initiative was that you all were working on yeah so um obviously during the pandemic there was a lot of racialized violence that was happening um and one of the things the AND campaigns tries to do, even though we're coming out of the uh, black church tradition, we try to reach out to everybody. We try to say, hey, this is one body. Let's let's try to make it that. 
and not be kind of like the Jonah and Nineveh situation. And so you, you got to give people a chance to engage before you say that they won't do it. And so what we did, we started off with the Churches Helping Churches uh, uh, challenge where we wanted to raise money for a lot of churches. A lot of my friends who had a small black churches were wondering were they going to make it through the pandemic. Mm. And so one of the things that we did was we raised about one point five million dollars for churches all over the country so that they could survive the pandemic. The interesting thing about this was that we were raising money from people who may not vote the same way that I, I do or the way that Mike does, uh, but they were willing uh, to engage. And we were a- able to raise those funds and give away those funds with no strings attached. This, the, it, what we didn't want is a situation where you give somebody money and then you tell them every, you know, you micromanage mm-hmm. how they do. And if they're not fitting in your culture, then somehow everything breaks apart. So that's the first thing that we were able to do during the pandemic. Along with that was the prayer and action justice initiative. We heard so many times, you know, people saying, OK, yeah, we hear your prayers. But what about that? You know, what mm-hmm. what what comes after that? That's not a big deal. What comes after that? And we were kind of responding that to say, no, prayer does matter. Uh, prayer changes things a lot more than I personally can change anything. But we do need to act that that we have been given the ability and we, there have been things that are placed in our sphere of influence that we can impact. And so we were able to get a number of church churches, uh, the Kojic Church signed on, um, a, a, just a lot of folks who also who you wouldn't think might get involved. So the National uh, Association of Evangelicals uh, and others all came together to say this is wrong. Like no holding, not holding any punches. The Bible says that we should not treat each other this way. The Bible says that the church needs to get engaged to prevent this type of mm. um, this type of violence, this racialized violence, especially coming from uh, the government and the people who are supposed to protect us. And so that was a great initiative where we were able to come together, have some prayer, but also start having conversations and some advocacy when it comes to, came to juvenile justice and things of that nature so that we're getting Christians who usually might not touch those issues, who usually may just want to stay in the church to say, nah, this is all connected and we can't ignore those people outside the church if we're really going to disciple and and love them. Wow, man. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, because I think as we ask the question, does Jesus care about black liberation and what is the role of the church? Something that uh, we're going to get to uh, as we kind of just continue on in this conversation is what's the role of the of the white church? You know, um, uh, what 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 is the role of um, the evangelical uh, movement, as it were, within the United States, which many would say have been very much complicit uh, within uh, black oppression? Uh, what is their role um, within Black liberation? So I definitely want to touch on that. So, so thank you for sharing about prayer and action. Powerful thing that you all were doing there. Um, so, Pastor Mike, could 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 you share with us some about um, how did the Black Church Pack come to be? Um, how you came to uh, work within Live Free USA, and uh, just some of the things you've been working on over the last few years. Sure. So the Black Church Pack was started. Literally, there was a conversation that was had with um, myself, uh, a couple of young strategists, young folks who are strategists within uh, a lot of particular space. I met a few of them at the White House or uh, at the Democratic National Convention who were frustrated with um, the way in which Black churches were not particularly being resourced or given more than ceremonial uh, Mm -hmm. positions and access into building 
um, political power that could impact and help elect candidates. Um, this became a, a real big passion of ours. Uh, folks whose names include Dewana Thompson and Tristan uh, Wilkerson um, and, uh, you know, a number of other folks. Um, I, I have had some pretty strong relationships with, you know, some prominent black church leaders across the country, uh, bishops and um, pastors. And, and we all got together, myself, Bishop Leah Daughtry, Bishop Frank Reed, Noel Jones, um, some artists like Warren Erica Campbell, um, Otis Moss, and we, we all started to think a little bit about what would it look like to create a container mm. that allowed us to not have to uh, appeal to um, the, the party structure uh, or some kind of white-led uh, political project in order to really build the unique power mm. of Black church um, leadership and voice, uh, particularly at the intersection of the issues we agree around, that we should be ending gun violence, we should be advancing criminal justice reform, and we should be uh, making sure um, voter suppression and or um, the, the access to voter rights was, was not being hindered. Um, those three issues became the core of our work, and we started the Black Church Pack in 2017, um, as a way of, of bringing Black church leaders and their networks into a space that was not denominational, that was not limited by the 501c3 limitations of um, folks being able to use their political voice, uh, et cetera. And it, it's proven to be a really uh, cool uh, sweet spot for a lot of um, individuals across the country who are interested in, in um, you know, raising donor money for political campaigns um, and then using those resources to make sure that during electoral cycles, we can actually weigh in um, with the power, the influence, the culture, the texture of black church sensibilities who care about the intersection of these justice issues. Um, that work uh, really emerged out of the Live Free a kind of ecosystem of which uh, I've been leading for the past decade. Um, the Live Free uh, USA community is, uh, so it's about a thousand or so churches and faith leaders across the country who over the last decade have embraced this idea that we could have peace in our communities um, mm -hmm. without having to grow the prison population, without having to keep investing uh, hundreds of millions and dare I say even billions of dollars into failed policing systems. Um, that work emerged out of so many of us who have had to bury children in our congregations or cities, uh, folks who have experienced police violence, folks who understand that, um, you know, the church is present in every community, very similarly to uh, a liquor store. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the challenges that are literally on every block in every community, the, the church is present. What does it look like to, to make sure the church is seen as an outpost of healing, of freedom, of justice, of advocacy around these issues we care about the most? And so we've been building um, lots of organizing power. We hire uh, community organizers to organize churches, directly impacted individuals and loved ones to literally scale up public health related gun violence prevention strategies to secure local, state, and federal tax dollars to support that. 
Um, mm -hmm. We believe that if a, if a city has a funding stream for police, there needs to be a funding stream for healing and peacemaking. Um, wow. If there's a funding stream for prisons, there needs to be a funding stream for formerly incarcerated and or directly impacted loved ones who used to be caught in violence to have jobs to help uh, do violence intervention and resolve conflicts without um, the presence of guns, weapons, etc. Um, mental health strategies need to be radically scaled up in black and brown communities. And so our work is to help train pastors and clergy and congregations on how to leverage their institutional power in a city mm. to be able to impact that with mayors and city councils, and then keep going higher and higher to the legislature and their states and their governors, and even to their congressional representatives, and even those who are elected um, at the presidential level. And so our work is about organizing. We build power, we change policies, um, we shift people's uh, hearts and minds related to the viability of black life. Um, and we take it very seriously that um, black folks are, are gonna have to really prioritize the salvation and saving of our own people uh, because quite frankly, no one else has proven that to be a priority in their political projects, regardless of their political um, uh, affiliation or their uh, claims to Christianity or whatsoever. Um, it, it has to be a priority for us to to really do that. And, and I think we have to be organized in order to really make it happen. Wow. What's up, family? Listen, I have some really exciting news to share with you. On April the 26th, 2024, I'm going to be releasing my brand new full length album. It's called Night Vision. Uh, we've been talking about the kingship of Jesus Christ here on the Dimensions podcast, but now I want you to have a soundtrack for it. I can't wait for you to hear this album for yourself. It's inspired by Daniel chapter 7, uh, where the prophet has a vision of the kingdoms and empires of the world, but then he sees God, the Ancient of Days, take his seat in the heavenly courtroom, and he transfers the powers of the kingdoms and empires into the hands of one who looks like a son of man, one who we find out in the New Testament is none other than Jesus Christ. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And even in the darkness of our world, he is worthy of our worship. And that's what the Night Vision album is all about. So listen, put it in your calendar. Give yourself a, a, a reminder, uh, set an alarm, whatever you have to do. Um, because I believe that on April 26th, God is going to give you Night Vision. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for sharing that. And with that, I want to kind of segue into um, this central question, you know, really for our conversation. Um, what does Jesus have to say about the salvation, the safety, the political liberation of black people? Um, and we understand that, of course, black is a racial, even dare I say it, ethnic um, understanding of self-identity. Um, but it's also a statement of lived conditions. Um, and, 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 and I think within the work of James Cone, we, we really see this notion that black represents um, not just a racial or ethnic identity, but a condition of oppression. Um, that to be black is not just to have brown skin, but to um, 
have a cultural experience, um, even if not personally, but within the collective of your culture, to have a cultural experience of economic instability, um, social discrimination, um, to be oppressed, to experience um, wildly divergent outcomes um, in wealth, in income, in housing, um, in public safety. Um, and so does Jesus care about that? Some, something that you said, Pastor Mike, that, that was so, so powerful. Um, you said that God was showing you that there is a people who would trust him for the salvation of their souls, but not the safety of their bodies. Why is the safety of their bodies? Why is the liberation of their socioeconomic or sociopolitical condition? Why is that important to Jesus? Um, is it important to Jesus? Does that matter to the gospel, right? Because there are many people who say, well, you ought not be worrying about political stuff, just preach the gospel. So why, why is that part and parcel of the gospel? Well, um, I mean, herein lies the rub, right? I mean, I, I, I think I think we have to acknowledge a whole number of assumptions um, that that get us closer to this answer. Um, you know, I am certainly someone who believes that it's a resounding yes, that Jesus cares about the liberation of all people, uh, particularly uh, those who are marginalized, disenfranchised, um, those who are uh, finding themselves, as Howard Thurman says, with their backs against the wall. Um, I think that it's super important for us to keep reminding ourselves that um, scripture and certainly the history of, of the Christian faith um, has been racialized uh, by, uh, you know, you know, Western Euro uh, centric uh, theologians and churches um, that have tried to, I think, use the Christian faith to uh, provide moral cover for their mendacity and their imperialism and their exploitation. Now, we need not erase the first hundred years of Christian faith, which found its 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 root and its life in um, you know the the cradle of Africa, right? <laughs> you know uh, the 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 parts of of you know, Carthage is in Egypt, you know, like Athanasius, an early church father was called a black dwarf. It wasn't because, you know, uh, you know, obviously he was short, but he was also a dark skinned person. Like, you know, they're, they're the early church father, Tertullian, you know, um, all, all the, these individuals, if you read our history of the Christian faith, are dark skinned or brown skinned African people. Um, and that has been erased. Um intentionally by uh, actors uh, throughout the Christian um, faith or uh, history who I think want to, you know, rob the kind of cultural uh, uh, significance and resonance of this faith. And so I think it's really important to reclaim that history. Um, I also think it's super important to keep, you know, saying to ourselves that, um, you know, uh, white evangelicals and, you know, you know, the European Western church does not have a monopoly on Christian faith, on theology. Um, there are expressions of Christian faith throughout the world that do not uh, adhere to uh, these kinds of notions related to, you know, hierarchy, human hierarchy, racial hierarchy, uh, gendered hierarchies. 
um, you'll find lots of expressions of Christian faith that if we looked at through our kind of acculturated eyes as, you know, Western American folks, we may not find that to be uh, Christianity. You'd be like, man, I don't know what y'all doing over there, right? Um, I, right here in Berkeley, there's a, a congregation that's Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopian Coptic church, and they look like they're Muslims. They burn incense. It smelled like weed and stuff outside their church. And I used to walk by and be like, man, what is that? Until a few started coming to my church, you know, because they hop shop people. They start coming to my church. They're like, we love your church because, you know, we, you know, our, our, our young people love hanging out here, blah, 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 blah. But all that to say, you know, there are practices of Christian faith that do not share or resemble the practices or the 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 um, texture of, of American white Eurocentric informed faith. And that includes even in some of our black denominational yeah. contexts. And so I think it's just really important to, to nuance the conversation around um, what, what um, you know, uh, faith and church uh, need be in order to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus in this question of liberation, I think is one just about preaching the whole of the gospel. Um, Jesus healed mm -hmm. folk. Jesus resurrected folk. Jesus ran up against the political leaders of his day, both in his Jewish context and in the Roman context. Um, and that in, in and of itself, I think, should force us to ask ourselves, uh, you know, are we making political leaders and systems uncomfortable by the way we follow Jesus? Mm. Um, and if we're not, if we're only using the political uh, systems to benefit ourselves, um, to enrich ourselves, um, to uphold the powerful, um, to align ourselves with those who uh, are violent and who continue to um, erase the humanity and tear up creation. And I think we, 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 we can make some reasonable conclusions that we may not be aligned with um, the message, the mission, and dare I say, the impact of Jesus in the world. And I can go on and on, but I'll stop uh, because uh, I have the gift of going on and on. <laughs> Man, no, we we needed all of that. So so thank you. Um, that's so powerful, Justin. I I I, I want to pitch that same question to you. Um, how are we to understand the heart of God, the mind of Christ, as it relates to issues of black oppression, black liberation, uh, the empowerment of the poor? What does the gospel have to do with all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the idea that there's any separation between the gospel and caring for those in need, caring for the oppressed, or um, is a, is a lie straight from the depths of hell. And insofar as the American church has perpetuated that, the American church has not been Christ-like. Uh, mm -hmm. It has been been far from what Christianity should really be. Uh, and as far as those in power, often being white evangelicals, have perpetuated that. Uh, they have not been, again, on the side on the side of Christ. And I think that needs to be very clear. You don't have to go too far. You just go to, to Christ's own words about what he said about his mission. Right. We go to Luke four. You see when he talks about setting the oppressed free and all that for you to jump over that uh, for someone to, to jump through that and, and, and say that's not um, that's not what he meant or it doesn't really apply in, in practical terms. I think it's wicked. And unfortunately, we've seen in this country what a lot of things have been justified uh, based off wicked interests, where we put the interests of man before what it says in the Bible. And I'm uh, glad that, that that Mike brought up the the, the African church fathers. Uh, these these were folks who, you know, folks have to know that the, you know, the 
the church was in Africa long before it was 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 in Western Europe. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things that came out of Western Europe, whether it be the Enlightenment and all that. But it was it was in Africa first. And you had a lot of very intelligent uh, brothers and sisters who were weighing in on what the church was to be, I believe, based on, uh, uh, you know, um, a connection with the Holy Spirit and, and what should come from that. The other thing that I think you if you want to pull on history, the other thing that we have to look at was the way that the invisible institution interpreted interpreted mm -hmm. the faith. Uh, these are people, of course, during slavery. We know that the slaves often weren't allowed to to praise and worship uh, out in the open or together. And so they would go off and they would hide and they would they would worship. And if you look at some of those slave narratives about what they say, there was a very clear understanding that God indeed was a liberator, that even when they were given uh, Bibles with the uh, with, with the liberation narrative taken out of them, somehow, in some way, they still received a better understanding than theologians with thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of books of what it really meant to be a Christian and the promises that God had for us. This is part of our legacy, and this is part of something that we need to hold on to. I think we also have to mention that when we're talking about those church fathers, these are brothers that were arguing for the authority of Scripture, which lets us know exactly why uh, Jesus was saying what he, what he was saying and why we should know who he really is. This is something that can't be missed in, Christ, in, in Christianity. If we, if we go around and we preach and we tell people what to do and we become hypocrites because we want to harshly hold up these laws that we, we can't hold up ourselves, then we're missing what the gospel really means, especially in this day and time. Mm. Um, if we can't sit with the same people and support the same people that Jesus supported, then that's a problem. I think we also can realize as, as African-Americans that there's a class piece that goes into this too, right? So yeah. it's not just about, I mean, just like the story that I gave you about my mother, it's never, it's never just about us. But we know that there's a this history, especially in the United States, what was done to African-Americans and Native Americans was very different than a lot of the other stories that you see here. And so I think there is a reason to give that special attention. But I'll just end where I started to separate the gospel from social action, from uh, equality, from making sure that people are taken care of, I think is a, a slap in the face of what it really, what the faith really means and what Jesus himself said uh, his mission was uh, in addition to, we know the importance of salvation. Wow, man. Thank, thank you, Justin. That's so helpful. I want to ask as a follow-up because there are some who have thought about the concept or perceived of the concept of Christian political engagement. Um, and it has meant very different things uh, depending on who those groups of people are. Um, could you tell us what the difference is in your view between an authentic, prophetic, Christ-honoring political witness that is true to the gospel versus a dominionism, a take over, a go in and dominate, a, 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 a conquest kind of political engagement? Can, can you tell us what the differences of those are, both from a philosophical or theological standpoint, as well as practically how they show up in the world? Because I think we have seen that, style of political engagement 
um, from various groups of people, uh, certainly within the white evangelical space. Um, so what's the difference? Like our, our, what makes what we're called to do any different from what some of those groups have done for years and decades? Well, I think they come from a different route. Uh, what you seem to be describing as me to me on one end is kind of Christian nationalism, where it's really about power, where it's about maintaining power. It's about saying, I'm right. I know what's best for you. And let me get what's mine. And then I'll give you what's what's left over if if I get to it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's based on on power. I think it, it's based on control again. And, and I think Pastor Mike said it very well. A lot of this is more cultural. Right. It's, it's more of a Western culture than it is, has anything to do with Christianity. I think the root of what would be true social action and a better, a more uh, faithful way to do it would be the fruit of the spirit, uh, mm -hmm. would be an understanding of what it means to be self-sacrificial. I mean, we again, we can go back to, to the Bible. You look at uh, the prophet Amos. And so you have the prophet Amos who comes in and says, there's partiality in your courts. Uh, I see how you're treating the poor. This this was a a violation of the covenant. This was he was bringing to them a what they call a covenant lawsuit to say that you had an agreement mm -hmm. with God. Part of that agreement with, with God was that you would treat people right, that that your courts would be impartial, that the 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 that the the poor would be treated fairly and be taken mm -hmm. care of. This was your agreement with God. So the only agreement with God wasn't uh, about sexual immorality and all that stuff. Part of the agreement with God was about poverty, was about how uh, people are treated in, in your courts. He's saying this is a violation. This is a breach of that contract. And there's consequences to pay for that breach, uh, breach of contract. So I think when you have Christians who try to say what it you know, what it means to be a Christian is only to care about abortion and to go in on abortion, whether or not we provide any any other services for people. That's what it's all about. And everything else is Marxism. Every, everything else is not really Christianity. Again, either it's biblical illiteracy or it's or it's malicious. Right. Or or it's something where somebody knows better, but they would rather do what, what they want to do. And I think those two, the true Christianity and what you see from Christian nationalism couldn't be further apart in regard to their impact on society. Um, and so I think we always have to make sure that and, and this is one important point too. Make sure that we don't judge Christianity off complete distortions of Christianity. Mm. A, a lot of people, and even myself, when I went to when I went off to school and all that stuff, I got to a point where I said, you know, I'm, I'm through with this because I see what these folks over here did who said they were Christians. Mm. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. But but I would warn people and say, well, judge Christianity, number one, off what you read about Jesus and also of what it should be. Even in the Bible, you have people who say they are part of the faith that aren't doing anything near what, what we should do within the faith. So just because something has the label Christian doesn't mean that it, it in any way lives up with it to what it me really means to be a part of the faith. Um, and, and I think you see that in the distinction between a Christian nationalism and an engagement that is, is more about self-sacrifice than it is mm -hmm. about power. Wow. And, and, and let me, let me ask this pastor Mike, um, because Justin, said something um that i think was 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 really key uh, a few moments ago when he started talking about the importance of class in this conversation of 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 liberation um and i i think that class has even something to do um with 
uh, even the notion of how we do theology, uh, because sometimes our social location um, is a lot more um, uh, informative for the way that we think than maybe we give it credit for. Um, and so I think there is a need um, a necessity for those who are in positions of socioeconomic or political power, uh, be it by nature of their, you know, racial location, their 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 economics, whatever it might be, um, to critique their theological understandings uh, through engagement with voices from different social locations, right? Uh, because you know, even when we talk about the notion of liberation theology, um, um, and of course, it, um, I, I, I am not a wholesale proponent of liberation theology from the standpoint of all of its particular emphases. But I think the notion of the understanding, right, when we look at uh, Latin American liberation theology, when we look at black liberation theology, when we look at even liberation theologies that have also uh, really risen even out of South Africa and other places in the world, um, I think the, the the theological understanding that Jesus is is the God of the poor, that he is king of the poor, um, that he is God of the oppressed, that he is the Lord who who does not just see oppression from above and judges it, but actually became one who was oppressed. Um, and that because of that, there is an identification that Jesus has with those who are disadvantaged, who are oppressed, who are under-resourced. Um, uh, th that, that identification then means that we cannot fully know or see or understand Jesus apart from that identification. And, and I think that that's a key insight that you weren't just going to get just from an ivory tower. You, you weren't going to get that from, you know, the biggest white evangelical church around it. That, that was a That was a theological understanding that could really only be birthed in the crucible of oppression um, um, in dealing with those issues. And so really in light of that, Pastor Mike, I want to ask you this question as we think about this notion of class and how it impacts our theological understandings of Jesus and, and, and the notion of liberation. Um, what role has the black church played or had, let me ask it this way. Has the black church played a role in the perpetuation of black oppression and what role is the black church to play in the liberation of black people? Yeah, well, I think I think we we have to again keep reminding ourselves that uh, the the church, even at its best, is a collection of of uh, individuals with lots of human frailties, um, uh, lots of uh, uh, you know double mindedness. Uh, even at our best, we can still allow our worst to sit right alongside us. So. Uh, you know, we don't operate in this world from a pure place. Um, I've tried to move away from the binaries of, you know, um, you know, uh, heresy and truth and, and, and invite us to think in ways like faithfulness, you know, not, not because I believe truth is subjective. Um, but I do believe that we are all, we are all always, you know, having to ask ourselves, 
am I being the most faithful follower of Jesus that I can be? Um, yeah. You know, people can make claims about truth all day. Like I would argue that so many folks may hold a, a very true articulation of the Trinity. But are you being faithful, a faithful <laughs> Christian, um, even with your true articulation of the Trinity? <laughs> uh, you may be able to describe, uh, you know, uh, the Christology in a way that will never get out of line with the historical descriptions of the Christian faith. But are you being a faithful Christian? Can you have right belief and still need to be more faithful? Mm. And so I do believe the black church in particular has been a source of liberation, but also at the same time, a source of lots of harm and pain. Um, and dare I say some oppression uh, for a number of different folks. And that is not because I don't like the black church It's because people in the black church who are finding themselves experiencing harm say that themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you're a woman in the black church, you know, a black woman would say, yes, the black church has been a great source of my liberation. And also it's been a source of my oppression. If you are a queer person or a same gender loving person in a black church, they will say, yes, I would not be able uh, to, you know, vote in this country if it wasn't for the civil rights movement that emerged out of the black church. But there is a certain, you know, practice mm -hmm. of black Christian, you know, politics or, or polity that, you know, create some harm and some oppression in my life. If you are a poor person in the black church, and I just go on and on and mm -hmm. on and on, right? So the black church has been a source of liberation for folks, but by people's own testimony of which I try to take seriously, just as seriously as I, I, I try to take, you know, the preach word, I want to take the testimonies of mm -hmm. those we're preaching to seriously as well. If they say this institution is harming me, then I don't, I don't, I don't seek to like erase their, their voices and their claim so I can feel better about the institution. The institution exists to serve God and the people, not those mm. who are the stewards of that institution. Wow. So I do believe we ought to keep asking ourselves these hard questions. How can we be more faithful um, in our application of the gospel and our practices within our churches? Appreciating that there is a spectrum of black church experience in, mm. in, in the world. There are those who hold to more conservative ideological uh, 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 commitments. There are those who have a hybrid of, of those things. And I would argue that the overwhelming majority of black church folks live right smack in the middle, depending on which part of your life uh, don't fit in the conservative <laughs> ideological commitments. Somebody say, man. And then there are folks who are very what we call progressive and liberal. And, and you know, like I said, where I grew up in my conservative leaning church, None of the folks who were in the middle or in the left side of the black church is even going to heaven. Like we didn't even, we didn't even fellowship. I wish I could talk to somebody. We didn't fellowship with the Baptist folks because they smoke and drink. We didn't fellowship with the Kojic folks because they didn't baptize Jesus' name. We didn't fellowship with the, with the Lutherans because, you know, that sounded too weird. We didn't fellowship with the Catholics because they didn't believe in, they believed in Mary. Now, now I'm, I'm in fellowship relationship with all these different parts of the black church and I see Jesus. Wow. Everywhere I go, I can see Jesus. Now, can I call us all to more faithfulness? Absolutely. Mm. But we need not fall into the fundamentalism of evangelical white Christianity in order to help us make sense of our call 
around what it means to be for liberation and continue to press ourselves on that fact. I think the way we do this more faithfully is we bring more women into this conversation. We should have a woman speaking in this space. We bring more queer folks into these conversations. We bring more folks who are poor. We bring more folks who are from the diaspora. We bring more voices and not feel the need. We have to always agree on every fine point in order for wow. us to have a conversation, right? Because I would argue you don't agree with yourself half the time, right? So, you know, why, why must I argue for agreement across this spectrum when faithfulness is about unity? Jesus said it like this. I pray that you may be one mm. as we, me and my father are one. In the Trinitarian kind of, you know, uh, context, uh, unity did not mean uniformity. Right. Mm -hmm. It meant a, 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 a perichoretic relationship, an overlapping, a deep overlapping mm -hmm. right, of life together. And that ought to be, I think, the way we we move forward in liberation, not not agreement as a prerequisite, but a a, a commitment to unity and love and charity and curiosity and above all safety, <laughs> you know, protection. Uh, particularly within our context in this white nationalist society. Man, that's 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 really powerful and I think really helpful. And and I see even a common thread from something you were sharing and something that Justin was sharing, um, both from your context within Live Free, um, as well as Black Church Pack, and just within your context with and campaign and and uh prayer and action, um, that you that you both have seen what it is like for different groups of people, um, both within the black church as well as just within the church in general, um, who might have deep disagreements on a lot of different things, um, being able to come together, not, not like a synod or a, you know, theological council where we have to resolve all the issues that we have and all the disagreements that we have. And we've got to come out of this with kind of one united view, but rather we agree that Jesus is Lord and we agree that something has to be done about this issue. And so let's come together to solve it. I think that's really helpful because it, it, it encourages us and it challenges us in the quest for liberation um, that some of your partners in liberation will be people that, you don't always agree with that some of your partners in liberation may be people who you have deep theological um, uh, uh, discrepancies uh, with as, as it pertains to one issue or another. Um, of course, the, 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 the issue of sexuality is huge. Um, you know, that conversation is huge. Um, the conversation about, um, you, you know, when, 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 you know, when does life begin, you know, how, how should policy be crafted, um, even around issues of women's health, uh, things of that nature. Um, but yet I've heard you both say, no, but we found issues where there was agreement. And incidentally, in, 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 in both cases, uh, there's been a lot of, energy um around issues related to criminal justice and 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 safety um and so what i think it just says to us and what i how it encourages us i believe uh especially for young black christians millennials gen z you know black christians who 
are coming into an understanding that yes, Jesus does care about the things that I care about, um, not, not just because it's me, not just because I belong to him, but because he specifically identified with the poor and the oppressed. He made himself poor and oppressed um, uh, so that he would identify with us so that then also we could identify with him. Um, but coming into that understanding, how now do I walk that out? When I recognize that mandate from Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel um, um, uh, to the poor, uh, that that whole mandate. Um, how do we go from the mandate to then walking it out practically? And I think that you have both given us a major key. You've got to be open to collaboration. We have to be open um, across the spectrum of uh those who were who are part of the black church expression uh, really across that spectrum. But then we also have to be open um, even to those white evangelical churches that we who you say, y'all just don't get it. You know, um, uh, can I, you, can you, I, can I, let me let me let me just chime in, though, because, okay, you know, yes, I, I'm, I'm radical. People say I'm radical. So let me just be radical for a second. <clears throat> I think that we spend too much time with white evangelicals in our head. We are overly preoccupied with what they think, what they will say. Will they approve us? Will they invite us to speak at their conferences? Will we get their awards? And we mute the liberation of our own communities, our own children, sons, daughters, grandparents, etc., because we don't want to be deemed as being outside of the white evangelical normativity of both practice and theology and doctrine. White evangelicals know what racism is. They know what oppression is. To act as if they are befuddled. Oh, I, I, I need, I need Justin. I need Pastor Mike. I need, I, I need these people to to help educate me about this issue. To me, um, is 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 uh, protecting white naivete. naivete. There has not been one day in this country's history where white Christians have not been aware of their complicity in the destruction and, and killing of black bodies to the point where many of them used to be part on the chopping block with us. Like, you know, there, there's lots of books that say like uh, how Germans became white, how Irish mm -hmm. became white, how, you know, they weren't considered white when they first got here, but they have chosen to 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 integrate into this kind of white um, uh, 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 culture uh, and power structure, and so I just I just always want to challenge us as as you know the black prophetic church or just black folks, like let 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 some of these people out your keep them out your head. You know, um, we have always had to make sense of our life in this context on all of these issues, ranging from human sexuality to how do we deal with the protection of black women's bodies, whether it's from birth to their to, to, to their death? Um, how we deal with our own internal divisions and challenges around class, around gender. This has always been a part of our history as black mm -hmm. people in this country. It didn't just start because in the 1970s, all this money flowed into, you know, Roe versus Wade, you know, political projects. And now we find ourselves overly preoccupied with or because human sexuality all of a sudden became an issue in the last 20 years, when in the black church, our sexuality has been fractured since we got here because we have been constantly 
raped and pillaged and mm-hmm. our families have been destroyed by sexual violence as a result of our chattel slavery in this country that was largely superintended and upheld by white Christians, right? So let's, I just, I just always want to invite us. Yes. I love the scripture and the, the, the kind of texture of Christian faith that, that finds resonance with, with some of our white, you know, evangelical Christian uh, 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 folks in this country. But when it comes to liberation, when it comes to a political project, we ought to keep these people out of our heads. They love charity, but they hate justice. And so I'm to the place where I'd rather you keep your charity if you don't want to give us justice <laughs> um, because your money often comes with strings attached, right? You want proximity with too. us, but you don't want to fight for justice and liberation with us. And that's my radical bent. Now I'll become a little bit more uh Martin Luther Kingish uh yeah I don't, I don't I don't honestly I don't think it's all that radical I think I it think is radical people, I think <laughs> I, I think a lot of people would agree with you um I, I think there's a, a critical mass of brothers and sisters especially in our generation that would agree completely with you I often tell folks that there's a big difference between justice and charity uh charity you can give as much as you want and stop it when you want to justice is a god standard and one reason that I think a lot of folks including white evangelicals don't want to give justice is because justice forces us to have a conflict with self-interest mm. and charity doesn't make you have a conflict with self-interest. So there is a big uh, issue there. I would say this too. I would say generally, I believe that a lot of white evangelicals do know that what they're doing is wrong uh, and that, that, that it needs to change. But I also just in my experience, I can't, I can't throw away that I've seen people's opinions change. I've seen people who grew up in those spaces who were lied to in their own history books that they were reading and really don't know what they should know about American history, are ignorant to American history based off what they've been taught. It's not an excuse, but I wouldn't give up on anybody or say that they're not, you know, they're almost irredeemable when it comes to these social conversations. I think what you were getting at is they should not be centered in our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree, agree that should not be centered in our conversation as we try to move on and make sure that we're, we're taking care of the least of these and making sure that Again, there aren't no, any strings attached when we engage people. But again, I try to I want to make sure that it's not the Jonah and Nineveh uh, or, or it's, it's the it's the uh, the Pharisee saying, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not that that publican. I mean, I think we all can grow. I've seen people grow. And so I, I wouldn't give up on that. But also, let me say this, too. We've inherited a, a lot of things from uh, from Europe in American Christianity. But I'd also I'd also have to put out there that. We've also inherited postmodernism, which comes out of Europe, too, which makes us kind of set the truth aside. I wouldn't set the truth aside at all. I think what I would do is I would try to distinguish what is true and what is tradition, because in order for me to really say that life has value, in order for me to really come to someone else and say this is a standard of justice and human dignity that you have to live up to. There has to be truth to do that. There has to be some standard that's unconditional, that it doesn't matter what time period that you're in. It's a timeless standard that we hold people up to. And so so I think as Christians, as we look through and try to make sure that our, our faith, that we are faithful, I don't think it has to be a separation from truth. I think it has to be a separation from those things that we held as true that were really false. And the point that, that we make about the, the church it has always been monolithic, right? That the black church is a monolith. So even when we talk about it, it's hard to, to say the black church one thing and the black church another because it's always been 
people in different spaces, people of, of different denominations. And we need to we need to engage that. Mike made another great point, which was that to have correct doctrine and not have what we call the orthopraxy, the right practice really does nothing. And this is something else that we see where people can write all these theology books and still think that it's OK looking at the life of Jesus uh, to have slavery and, and things and things of that nature. These are some of the these are some of the points that we need to look at as we try to grow in faith. I, I would I would question separating that from truth in any way, but getting to what the truth really is, which I think would would open our eyes to why it's so valuable that we do engage a lot of these issues. I, I think that I think the sexual the Christian sexual ethic is important. Now, are we hypocrites in what what we emphasize with it? Um, I think the Christian I think the family's important. I think you can have all the all the justice and liberation you want to, but you also need to have structure. And I think there's Bible uh, that goes along with that, too. So as we have these conversations, as we can agree to disagree on some things and come together when it comes to justice, it's important that we see our faith for what it's been for a long time or, or what, what black Christians have been for a long time, which is a monolith, but certainly a, a re, an imperfect but redeemable kind of legacy that we can we can build on. Wow. Well, th this is this is where I, I think there may be, this is why I think the conversation among black Christians needs to be intentional because I, I do think that there are many um, that would push back on some of these ideas of truth as they're being talked about, not because of um, the, the idea that they're, that, you know, truth is unknowable, but the idea that where we are situated in the world largely informs how we articulate truth, right? Sure. Um, sure. And so if truth allied, if, if my notion of truth is allied with power, then it can be, you know, forced upon many people who may not, not be truth, situated right? in, the same, in the same way. But, mm -hmm. but all of us are situated uh, in the world in, in a particular way, right? And so we're not, we're not situated in the world in an abstract way. We're situated in the world, like we think of the incarnation. Jesus became flesh, right? Jesus was not like, you know, you know, just this untethered human being We're coming to humanity, <laughs> right? Jesus yeah. was very much uh, 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 what we say, a dark-skinned Palestinian Jew who hid out in Africa, which means he had to have some dark skin, which means what? That Mary had to probably be black and Joseph probably, because, you know, who walking around with, you know, uh, a, a, a black child and the parents are white, right? So the whole family had to have some melanin in their skin. That kind of articulation of what, what I would say is true is not held to be true by so many people. And you look at that, by the way, icons and pictures and stuff, which then inform the way people understand the faith. And so the, the all I'm saying is the conversation within our own context has to become just as important as the action, because, you know, what we believe will very much inform what we do um, sure. and vice versa. And too often we take, I think, prepackaged evangelical theological assumptions um, and then we attach them to, you know, all kinds of, you know, notions of, you know, politics, of practice, of even our own personal kind of convictions. And then it all gets bumbled up, jumbled up. And it's not interrogated. And in that way, I do believe uh, our work, particularly as theologians, as pastors, as activists, as songwriters, artists, you know, we, we got to come together. Scripture says, come and let us reason together. Yeah, Can't yeah. 
some of the the worst songs you've heard we had bad theology it was like man where they get that from they got it from a bad sermon that was preached from somewhere because they showed up didn't read that in the book somebody <laughs> say man right so lots and lots and lots of conversation is necessary if we're serious about black liberation and then we must also acknowledge that not all of us are serious mm. about black liberation because many of us believe that heaven is the only place where black people will be liberated and mm. so we just live in to live again and think that black liberation only happens in heaven um that's a theological choice <laughs> that some folks are making as well um so um wow so powerful what what both of you have been sharing even in in the in the tension of views i think there is beautiful clarity um that that is offered to us in this moment because i think when we talk about this notion of truth and it's very important um even when we think about christ right in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god um the word being the very revelation of god the word being the way that everything that is not God can know God through the word um, who then becomes flesh. Uh, and so there is this notion of universality, but also particularity that are held in tension in the person of Jesus Christ, because he is a particular dark skinned Palestinian Jew, while at the same time, he is not the house of of, of, of the universal word, but in fact is that word. Um, and so I think then within our Christian um, uh, emphases, but more broadly, just our articulation of the faith, our understanding of the faith, um, I think there is always the tension of let God, you know, let God be true and every man be a liar, but then also how does the truth of God work within a context? Because, because I would suggest that the relativism with which the white evangelical space um, has, has, has approached the word or, or has approached um, uh, the things of God is extremely problematic. Um, and I would agree with Justin that if we, become too relative in our understandings, we end up doing some of the same things that they're doing and there is not an appeal to something higher, right? So when these spaces, you know, take America and superimpose it upon any biblical reference to Israel or any biblical reference to the church, such that, you know, whatever God's promise to Israel was, is the promise to America. Or what God's promise to the church is, is promise to America, because America is an extension or an agent of the church, whatever those, un those philosophical underpinnings that ultimately reinforce oppression. It comes from a certain relativism that says, that 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 exalts um my interest or my experience or my understanding to the level of that which God has revealed versus um a different alignment where where even my experience and my life and my walk is meant to express and is meant to manifest um he who is the word, the revelation of God, or said simply, um, 
we are living our lives and living out our faith such that Jesus Christ, the truth of who he is, can be revealed in our particular situations. So I think, Pastor Mike, you know, to what you're saying, we have to do the work. And, and if we as Christians are going to really engage in the work of black liberation, um, there's a lot of theological work that needs to be done. Um, there's a lot of heart examination, culture examination that needs to be done because we do need to decipher um, what is truth, not, not just in the sense of what are, what are principles, right? Um, remember when Pilate asked the question, what is truth? You know, and and the answer, if, if Jesus had answered it, he might tell him, I am the truth, right? I'm the truth in the life. And so the truth is, you know, ultimately the truth is not a concept. The truth is a person. Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the revelation of the absolute that is God. And so how does that universal Jesus show up in our particular situations, which is why I think a James Cone can say, and, and, and it's interesting because many folks, I know we have to wrap up in a moment, but many folks will look at black liberation theology and say, oh, it's a, it's a perspectival theology. It's a, you know, it, it, you know, it, it is a part of multiple theologies as if, you know, um, uh, the theological expressions that were um, conceived of in earlier generations of the church automatically hold more weight than the theological revelations that are coming out of a Thurman or out of a cone. Um, but, but I would challenge that notion of perspectival theology to say, yes, these understandings arise from a perspective, but they're much deeper and broader than a perspective. And so I think that's what we have to discover is what is it that God is saying that is arising out of these particular situations, but in fact is revealing something that's universal. And I think that that's how we then get that moral authority to be able to critique a system of oppression that says, no, you don't get to relativize justice in, in, in this case. You're wrong. You know, um, the Lord rebuke you, you know, um, uh, what you're doing, the blood of Jesus is 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 against it. And the person of Christ has has um, no allegiance with the way that you have expressed his gospel, with the way that you have misinterpreted his gospel, with the way that you've lived it out um, in a way that's been contrary. So so I think it's it's that beautiful tension of the universality of the word and the particularity of 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 the word made flesh where i think then we we really get um to that sweet spot you know to that place where we want to be on um how can we honor the truth how can we walk in the truth but recognizing that truth is not a list of concepts um but truth is in fact the person of jesus christ in all his divinity and all his humanity um and so yeah yeah i i i i just i'm just sitting here like, wow, like we, this itself, did Jesus care about black liberation? This can be a whole season, right? Um, we could literally be here for, for hours and hours. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of the conversation. Um, but I do believe that a seed has been planted through the things that you all have shared, through the things that we've talked about. So I want to do just like a quick rapid fire as we close. Um, and you all can think about it for a moment if, if you need to. I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, um, the first question is this, who are your top three, um, influences? They could be 
thinkers, political leaders, pastors. Uh, Justin, you you uh uh you you mentioned someone already, uh, but kind of who are those top three influences that kind of help to craft and shape your understanding of justice, politics, policy, um, and government from a Christian perspective? And I'll I'll start with Justin. You said three. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I mean. You know, it sounds cliche, but Dr. King and, and reading his work, it, I mean, it, it was amazing. I'll add somebody else in there that doesn't, you know, that we don't talk about as much. But Gardner C. Taylor, if you read his sermons and things that he said right up there with it. Uh, somebody else who I said was uh, uh, Councilman C.T. Martin, which is somebody close to my who I had those interactions with uh, that really uh, had an impact on me. And, and my Bishop Thomas Lee Cooper uh, was a major impact on my life and the way that I approach uh, social justice. Wow. Man, awesome, Pastor Mike. Um, yeah, I uh, so many influences. Definitely, Dr. King is is my my um a, a primary source for a lot of the work that that I do. Um, my, my um tradition, the Apostolic Cool JC tradition, um, had a really powerful fusion through Bishop Robert Lawson and Bishop Smallwood Williams, um, who was out of D.C. And then um, I tried to you know, sit at the, 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 the feet of, of the black liberation spectrum. So James Cone, Kelly Brown, Douglas, Emily Towns, you know, these, these black um, men and women is theologians that, that hopefully challenge my, my um, uninterrogated assumptions. I think those, those, that'll be my, my, uh, my series of sources, if you will. Wow. Awesome. And last, question that I want to ask rapid fire question is what do you all feel like God is saying to and you can approach either from the black church specifically or the church in America in general and I think the other piece that we didn't you know uh really get into is the notion of black liberation from a pan-african or diasporic uh perspective which then sheds a totally different light uh, on the conversation, but particularly for America, what do you feel like God is saying to the church as it relates to its role um, in liberation, its role in oppression, its role um, in the political future, um, the social future of a nation? What do you feel like God is saying in maybe just one or two sentences? Um, and I'll start with Pastor Mike. Um, you know, Dr. King says that the United States government is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Mm. Uh, I think if our country does not embrace peacemaking as the primary solution for every problem that ails us, then we will be swallowed up in violence. Um, wow. And that violence will most directly impact the most vulnerable among us. But um, it will be the death of this country if we cannot rid ourselves of violence at every level, particularly state violence, military violence, then our country will not survive very much longer. So hopefully peacemaking can be uh, become a super critical part of our way forward. Mm. Justin? I think what he's telling us right now is uh, the Black church in particular and those who come out of that tradition is speak for yourself, right? Mm. Speak from what I've, the word that I've given you, which to me means too oftentimes we get caught up in this dichotomy, which we didn't create, which is the culture war, where some folks are, are speaking on behalf of conservative ideology. Some folks are speaking on behalf of progressive ideology. 
On one side, you lose the compassion that we've been talking about in the social action. On the other side, you lose the truth and those convictions that keep people up and give you direction, even when you're free, because once you're liberated, you still need direction. And so I, I would think rather than us leaning on the conservative or the progressive saying one is right or wrong or taking a side to give use the unique witness that he's given the church to say, no, he cares about love and truth, compassion and conviction, social justice and moral order. Powerful. Thank you so much, Justin Giboney, Pastor Mike McBride. What an honor. What an honor it has been to speak to you both. I hope it won't be the last time. Uh, thank you for all that you do for the kingdom, all that you do for the nation, all that you do for the world. Uh, I know that you guys were um, absolutely blessed by this conversation that we've had. Um, and so once again, help me thank Justin Giboney and Pastor Mike McBride. Family, I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation about Jesus and black liberation. Listen, I want to keep this conversation going, y'all. Uh, follow me on my Instagram, on my Facebook, and let's talk about it. What do you think? I love to hear from you, um, and I love to hear how this episode was a blessing to you. And if it was, do us a favor, leave a five-star review, um, and tell everybody that you know uh, that here at the Dimensions Podcast, we're having some in-depth multi-dimensional conversations so we can go further higher and deeper in the knowledge of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ until next time